morning? Mm-hmm. Do you believe Amen. the Holy Spirit is really here this morning? Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Give him a clap. Tell him that you love him. We love you, Lord. Thank you, oh God. I'm going to be doing the congregational prayer this morning, but as I said in the first service, I'm kind of stuck. This is one of my favorite songs, like the Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, because we invited Holy Spirit into this place, and he came. And the word of God says that he will actually make his abode with us, mean he'll hang out with us, he'll stick with us, he'll be with us for the rest of the day. And the work and the power of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing that can happen to us or that we can go through that the Holy Spirit don't have our back. Amen? Amen. So I'm excited this morning to know that the Holy Spirit is at work in all of our lives and that's doing what God has ordained for him to do. Makes a way for us, comforts us, gives us peace, gives us understanding, helps us connect, breaks down barriers. Oh, he does all that for us. And he's going to hang out with us. Amen? So just bow your heads and just be with me while I pray this morning. Lord, we love you today. Thank you so much for your goodness, your kindness, and your tender mercy towards us. Thank you, oh God, that we can stand on the promises of God, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we thank you so much, God, that your word tells us that there's nothing that separates us. So therefore, we can go boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace in the time of need. So Father, look on us this morning because some of us need your mercy and some of us need your grace. But Father, your word said that all we have to do is ask and it shall be given. Seek and we shall find and knock and the door shall be open, Lord. Make a way for us, God. We sang the song that you made a way when our backs were against the wall. You made a way for us, God. You're bringing us out of COVID, God. You're making a way for us, Lord. God, everything that happened to us, Lord, you were all in it. And we thank you for that, Lord. Some of us have lost loved ones during this time. Some of us have lost jobs during this time. But you're right there with us. There's nothing that we can do that you're not there with us, God. So every need, Father, we're just casting it on to you, Lord. Your word tells us again to to take every burden to the Lord and leave them there because we trust you. We trust you with every need that we have, God. Financial needs, Lord. The needs for our children to get on the right path, God. The need for healing in our body, Lord. We give everything to you. We cast every care upon you because you care for us. Now, Father, I pray that you would bless every home that's represented here, Lord. Bless every home. You know the desires of their hearts, Lord. You know how to get in it and work it through, Lord. And you're so powerful, oh God, that even we don't even have to be there, that you can send the Holy Spirit before us, Lord. So we're depending on that, Lord, that you just just, just make every situation right, God. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. We thank you for all that you're going to do. We thank you, oh God, that right now you're touching our hearts. And if there's anyone in this congregation that doesn't know you in the pardon of your sins, Lord, the Holy Spirit is working right now to break down every barrier and break down every chain, God, because there's nothing worth more that would ever come close than the love that you have for us, Father.
So, Father, again, do the work by the power of the Holy Spirit in all of us and have your way, Lord. We pray, God, that this church continue to be a blessing in this neighborhood and abroad, Lord, that our neighbors will see our lights, that our lights would shine on our jobs and in our homes, Lord, that, Lord, that people would see us, the light that we have, and come running to you saying, what must I do to be saved? Father, I just believe it. I believe that you're doing the work right now. So we thank you for all that you've done. And Lord, we thank you for all that you're going to do. We turn it all over to you, Lord, because we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we sing Holy Spirit one more time? Sing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be morning. Amen. Yes. For those who are new, Pastor Hank, our senior pastor, is on vacation this week, which is a blessing and a praise. I am Bree Thompson. I serve as pastor of youth and young adult ministries here. So uh, today we're going to continue our sermon series on the parables. We're going to look at the parable of the 10 virgins found in Matthew 25. We'll get to that in a moment. So this parable today has the same upfront message as Pastor Hanks did two weeks back. He talked about the faithful and wives servant. So the idea of being ready, we're going to find again today, for we don't know the hour of the Lord's coming. And today's parable warns us to be ready, and then it concludes with some harsh realities for those who aren't ready. We're going to look at what is unique in the parable today that marks those maidens deemed ready and how we can apply that to our lives. So let's dive right into the scripture. If you have your Bibles with you today, we're in Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. You can also look over here. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you for your love for us and how you teach us all the ways to be ready. Thank you for the joy that comes when we're living lives that are ready for your return for that final day of judgment. We ask your blessings on the study of your word today. Open our hearts to what you have for us. Okay, so we're going to find a different emphasis today in this story, again, even though we're talking about being ready, than that of two weeks ago. So first I want to talk about some context of our parable today. So this is, the setting is a third phase in a wedding contract procedure of that time. The first phase is the engagement, which is the formal settlement, settlement between the respective fathers. The second phase is the betrothal, which actually was a ceremony held in the bride's parents' house. They made mutual promises, presents were given. And then finally, after typically about a year, there was the marriage. And for that, the bridegroom, accompanied by his friends, went to fetch the bride from her father's house and brought her back in procession to his own home where the marriage feast was held. <clears throat> this third phase is the setting. The maidens are waiting to be called to join the bridal procession to the feast. So an important point for us to notice in this parable today that the 10 maidens are all waiting for the bridegroom. So as we apply this parable to our lives, we're talking about those who are intentionally waiting for the bridegroom, waiting for that day of salvation. Those outside of the church are not waiting for the fulfillment of scripture. So we are not talking about atheists, agnostics, etc. We're talking about people who are within the church, among us, all of us, waiting for the bridegroom with anticipation. So all 10 are waiting, yet five of them are deemed not ready. So when we look at the church today, the Christian church today, we can conclude some people within Christian churches aren't ready by God's standards. And by the law of averages, even if we consider ourselves here this morning, potentially some of us today would be representatives of the five who aren't ready. Yet on the surface, all of us look ready. We are hanging out where we should be. We've got boxes checked of what a Christian looks like. We've got our lamps in hand. So at a glance, we look like we're ready. Um, yet there is a difference. So Christ's warning to us, again, all of us here this morning, must be heeded as if we're not considered ready when the day comes, Jesus will say, truly I tell you, I don't know you. The door will be closed and it will be too late. So this sounds very grave and it is, but prayerfully today's word ultimately for us today is an encouragement as we land amongst the ready, but certainly it's a fervent prompt to double check that we are ready. Um, so let's dig into this a bit. Um, again, I wanna talk about like that visible checklist on the outside. If we look around the world and even, you know, again, still in the church today, there are a lot of people doing good, people even from other religions doing all kinds of good, selfless lives of service, it looks like um, they're leading and some are leading nonprofit efforts to end hunger, to end sickness, some are working to stop wars, many have their feet on the ground in the areas of most need. People are doing all kinds of good, even here in our city, there are many doing good. But ultimately, if they don't know Jesus, when the end comes, Jesus will surely say, I do not know you. 
So even when we are serving the needs of the world selflessly, we still have to do this self-check. What makes us different from the many, many others doing good? Why is it that we get counted as those ready? So looking at the parable again, what's this difference within the church body? In the analogy of the 10 virgins, the difference is the oil. The wise maidens had extra oil in their jars, and this was something that couldn't be shared by a physical act of passing on, especially in the time crunch they were in as the bridegroom arrived. So what is the oil for us today? What marks this, this difference? And the oil is representative of the Holy Spirit. All through scripture, we see oil as representative of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is referred to as the anointed one, speaking of the Holy Spirit's presence with Jesus. In Zechariah 4, we see the fueling by the Holy Spirit represented by olive oil. In the Old Testament, in the Jewish tabernacle, there was a lamp fueled by oil that continuously burned, representing the constant presence of the Holy Spirit. And the representation of oil for the Holy Spirit makes sense. Oil heals. Spirit of God brings healing. Oil warms when burned in a lamp. With the Spirit of God, there is warmth and comfort. Oil invigorates. The Holy Spirit invigorates us for his service. Oil polishes when used to shine metal, and the Holy Spirit cleanses us from inside, the inside. And I could go on. So it makes sense. But again, we see that Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is that difference in the parable of the ten virgins. So what does it mean for us today? You know, <clears throat> as we do this self-check, you know, you may say, um, you know, Bree, I've, I've said the words, Jesus is my Savior. Um, you know, what, what all are we talking about? How can I claim that I am ready? How can we know um, when we do this self-check? I want to start by talking about what new life in Christ looks like. Those words, like Jesus is my Savior, is an important piece, but it's a, it's a lot that happens when we come to new life in Christ. I want to look at the Brethren in Christ's summary of new life in Christ, and Brethren in Christ, um, obviously, in their written doctrine pieces, those are things they've come up with in corporate discernment of scripture to, to create a summary. All this can be backed by scripture, and if anyone wants to reach out with a question about a piece of it, you know, I can certainly help find that scripture for you. Here's how they describe um, new life in Christ. All who come to faith in Christ are born again, receive the Holy Spirit, and become children of God. They are acquitted of all guilt for sin, are granted the righteousness of Christ, and are reconciled to God goes on to say, <clears throat> we become new creatures in Christ, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. This change of heart becomes evident in the development of Christ-like character and a walk of obedience to God. So I hope we hear today the importance of the Holy Spirit's role in what happens to us as we receive the assurance of our salvation. It says we receive the Holy Spirit and we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And then these changes can be evidenced by looking at our lives, but the root is the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives. So we could talk about a lot of things that evidence the work of the Holy Spirit, and there, there is a lot um, of wonderful things. There are many. But today I want to focus on an absolute evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit that in some spaces and even in Christian spaces, church spaces, I feel like there is a loss of the feeling of a need for, a leaning away from as if it's a bad thing, and that is upright living before the Lord. 
So back to the Brethren in Christ description, they said that change of heart becomes evident in the development of Christ-like character and a walk of obedience to God. As we submit ourselves to the transformative work of the Spirit to become like Christ, it's to become like Christ in holiness. And again, that is an essential piece of what our new life in Christ looks like. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, and we all are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Um, as I was prepping for my sermon, I touched base with uh, a dear theologian here in our congregation. Um, he's an expert, actually, even specifically on some of what I'm touching on today. And one of his thoughts to me was that God is serious about transforming us into the image of Christ. God is serious about it. Um, I'll tell you, this transformation we're talking about, again, is a clear evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit, without which that transformation piece, if that's not happening, when the day comes, Jesus, those of us without the Holy Spirit's presence will not be accounted among those that are ready. And I wholeheartedly agree with our, our brother in our congregation who says God is serious about transforming us. So this morning, I welcome you, though, to not let this feel heavy. It's the Holy Spirit's work in us. Our jobs are to submit, to allow the Holy Spirit's movement, and to be following through with the promptings of the Holy Spirit, stepping forward in obedience. And we don't even need to figure out all of the details like right away. God, how can I walk in holiness before you? I mean, that's a very overwhelming thought, I would think. Um, but again, Jesus carries... Jesus carries our burdens. We are free. We don't have to live by a checklist of the law, but through our relationship with the Lord, when we sincerely have accepted Jesus as our Savior, he is number one. All other idols are cast down. We become transformed through that relationship, and it sounds like something to celebrate, so nothing, not heavy. It's a celebration of our glorious life in Christ, um, so I hope that you, you can feel that peace with me. Um, we certainly, as we go in our lives, there's, there's still temptations, but we continue to grow to be more like Christ, and it's a beautiful journey. A piece of submission, submitting our whole selves to the Holy Spirit, is accepting discipline. Scripture tells us accepting discipline honors the Lord. It makes sense if we're on a road of transformation, there may be times when we are disciplined. We need to find the places we're sinning. Sometimes there are spaces that we're not even aware of, and we need to invite the Holy Spirit's presence to lead us in self-examination. Um, sometimes that discipline of the Lord may come through a whisper of the Holy Spirit. Um, sometimes it'll look more like a tangible discipline, a, a natural consequence because of our sin. And yes, this is another... Um, important thing with the things that I hear and feel vibes of, sin does need to be identified in the life of a believer. Um, that is an important piece as well. Biblical discipline is a blessing. Um, we see that all through scripture as well. Proverbs 10, 17 says, whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Proverbs 13, 24, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. How much more our Heavenly Father to us. Revelations 3.19, here Jesus is talking towards the writing of the letters of the churches, and he said, 
He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. So we see through scripture the importance of discipline. Um, <clears throat> for us, typically the time we talk about discipline is when we're talking about child rearing. Um, I think that a lot of times nowadays the word discipline has gotten more of a bad reputation. From my time, my generation when I was growing up to the children being raised now, there has been a significant swing in the general approach to child rearing. Some of it has been for good. Actually, I think a lot of the swing has been for good. There's now an emphasis on gentleness, on supporting critical thinking for your child, supporting them in their gifts and their unique personality. And those are all great emphases. Now, some would even go as far to say is, we don't need discipline. You can talk to your children and reason with them towards cooperation to rules and expectations. Let them find their way on their own, maybe even some would say. But where I see that a problem could wiggle its way into our general thinking towards discipline is when we view discipline as harmful and therefore to be avoided. Hebrews chapter 12, 10 and 11 says, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So I wanna talk a little bit about dis parental discipline, just because obviously our loving father is the best parent for us and he does discipline us. So thinking about parents here on earth for a moment, Dr. Ray Gurundi is a parenting author and speaker, and he says, discipline is critical to raising moral people. It still is a loving, durable gift that lasts a lifetime, and it is still is something parents instinctively know is good for their children. He defines discipline as putting limits and expectation upon a child's behavior backed by consequences when necessary in order to socialize and build character. He also says it is teaching done at the hands of a parent, the most loving, gentle hands most children will ever learn from. So a personal story for you on um, me as a parent and disciplining. One of our sons went through a phase where he had an incredible resistance to discipline. It was clear when we tried to talk to him and work through issues that he never felt like he was at fault. He had a mindset for justice and he was totally in the clear. All fault must be outside of him. Um, I'm sure that we can all relate probably to that perspective at times. But what an incredible barrier um, in parenting as we're trying to teach and instruct. Um, you know, very much felt like our hands were tied. Um, my husband and I, we, you know, we could talk until our faces are blue string all the consequences we want together, but if he didn't believe he was wrong, none of it would matter. So we had to switch to a strong teaching emphasis on the biblical truth of accepting discipline. We're to respect those in authority over us. We're to respect everyone. Um, we taught him that it was part of our biblical duty as his parents to grow him in the knowledge of how to live right before the Lord. And I do believe that it was a definite work of the Holy Spirit that we saw a change in him. Um, you know, and it was, there was a clear change 
able to be seen. Now, that doesn't mean that my son now likes to be reprimanded and disciplined, but he listens, okay? And we still sometimes even have back and forths, um, but he accepts those teachings, you know? And sometimes it takes some time to kind of, uh, for him to work over it, but he does. I um, mean, that's a huge praise of the Lord, um, the work of the Holy Spirit. So as the Holy Spirit is at work in each of us, we are transformed towards holiness. Sin areas are revealed to us, and we must submit to that teaching of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, identifying, if we were to say identifying sin in a believer's life is harmful and should be avoided. We are wrong. So this is a believer's life I'm talking about here. Um, so remember, God is serious about our transformation. So for those of us here who prayerfully, we want to submit our whole selves to the Lord's scrutiny as we're trying to be faithful in holiness, a question that may arise or a thought is sometimes it's tough to discern the truth. Today is much different from the Old Testament. Today is different from the times of the New Testament. Jesus came, he changed some laws. You know, when we are thinking about our lives today and here in our culture, um, it's tricky to discern what is upright living. Um, you may, you know, even say there's places in scripture that seem to contradict itself um, or you can't find and you can't really feel clearly what is right and good in a specific situation for you. So an encouragement for us is the Holy Spirit helps us to make those discernments, to figure out those specificities, excuse me, for us today. And um, one help when we really get stuck is, is found in corporate discernment. And I want to look at, again, back at what the brethren in Christ say. Um, when they're speaking about the revelation of scripture and how we can know what is true for us as believers, um, this is what the brethren in Christ say. The Holy Spirit continues to work in the church today in teaching us how to understand, interpret, and apply the scriptures through faith and diligent study. As believers open the scriptures, the Holy Spirit helps them to discern God's truth and will from the word. As the church gathers around the word, the Holy Spirit leads God's people into all truth. So again, notice the corporate revelation referenced here. It says the Holy Spirit works in the church today. As the church gathers around the word, the Holy Spirit leads. Here we are living in our culture, things can get muddled. We each carry subconscious biases. It is tricky to find what is right when we are living smack in the middle of American culture, that culture that is not Christian culture, and it makes it tough. So the emphasis on the understanding of God's word through that corporate study and that corporate discernment um, can be a huge help, help us find clarity and help us find God's heart. So, and absolutely, yes, the Holy Spirit does speak to us individually as we read scripture, but again, specifically, when we're considering those, those tricky things we're not quite sure of, we can lean into the help of the corporate discernment. Um, our American culture, um, and I don't know if, if we take time to acknowledge this often, um, our American culture is a modern culture, and again, not a Christian culture that we're living in. You know, you can find pieces but it is not a Christian culture. Our culture teaches you to do what you feel is right, 
They teach you to serve where your heart feels is right. Make decisions on what you feel is right for you. That's what our culture says. And ultimately, the culture teaches that you as the individual are God. That's what it comes down to. Truth is held by each individual separately. And do we not see in that 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 contradicts the definition of, of truth? Um, but that is where our culture is. Um, and I say today, no, we as Christians, as believers, cannot lose the high value our Father places on holiness. And we have to continuously tap into the work of the Holy Spirit. We have to lean into one another for discernment in those tricky areas, led by the Holy Spirit, to know how to walk in holiness before the Lord. Our Father outlines specific ways to follow him and obey. The ways of this world can so easily entangle us if we're not intentionally walking in the Spirit, keeping all aspects of our lives in check. And we are called to be in the world, not of it. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to do that well, so we can do it. Um, we can be in this world and not of it. So this transformation towards holiness that matters, it's, it matters, standing up right before the Lord matters. Intentionally figuring out what it looks like um, may again feel heavy or sound heavy, sound like a lot, but it is a delight. Um, and I want to take a moment to look at that. God's laws are for us. Um, he is for us in every way, and God's laws are for us. If it sometimes doesn't feel that way, I want to encourage you in that today. Paul D. Tripp is a pastor and an author, and he says, God's law is not a curse, it's a grace. God's law is not a burden, it is a gift of his love. Immediately after redeeming his children from the slavery of Egypt, he took them to Mount Sinai to give them his law. He did this because they were the children of his love and the objects of his redemptive glory. As your creator, he knows you, he knows the world you live in, and he knows the plans he has for you. Because he knows all of these things, he is infinitely more qualified to set the boundaries of your living than you are. He is your sovereign savior king, not the suggestion box Jesus. Paul Tripp goes on to say, one of the sad and destructive desires of this sinful nature is the desire for self-rule. One of the dark delusions of sin is that it causes us at points to buy into the insane thought that we might be smarter than God. His grace works in your heart of submission. That is a heart that esteems his authority and finds joy in his law. Another pastor speaking on God's law, Rich Velados, he's a pastor of a multicultural church in Queens, New York, New Life Fellowship Church, and this is what he says on God's care and love for you. His love for you always comes first and is unconditional. The reason that Ten Commandments are given is because they would become a way of life that describes what redeemed people look and live like, unquote. Remember here, following God's law, it's not our way to salvation. Living within the boundaries of them is the evidence that we are his because of the Holy Spirit and his transformative work in us. Praise the Lord. There are many other evidences of the Holy Spirit at work in us that we didn't talk about today, 
Um, Galatians 5, a lot of us are familiar with the fruits of the Spirit there. Um, the fruits of the Spirit are very beautifully intermingled, and in Galatians 5 it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But we cannot lean with our culture away from the fruit of faithfulness to obedience and the fruit of self-control towards holiness. We cannot say, but look at my love, my peace, and my kindness. If we're lacking obedience and the fruit of self-control, we don't have the work of the Holy Spirit through us. God's heart for holiness is clear and pertinent to us today. We must submit to the discipline of the Holy Father, and it probably won't always feel good, but, it's a part, but it is a part of our sanctification, of our coming to look and be like Christ that naturally happens when the Holy Spirit is at work in us. So back to our parable, um, at the conclusion of it, that those heavy pieces that we saw, we saw that the lamps of five of the maidens had gone out, the door was shut, and the words, I do not know you, were said. This is an illustration of God's judgment, which is unequivocal and irreversible. And we cannot know Christian assurance without the spirit, and we cannot succeed on borrowed religion. Are we living in the fullness of joy that walking through the Holy Spirit gives us as we are obedient? And can we, can we confidently know and say today, I'm ready when that final day of calling comes? If not, uh, we must come and surrender our hearts, our lives at the foot of the cross where we find full redemption, can relieve our burdens of trying to be good and press into the Lord and the fullness of life he has for us through the work of the Holy Spirit as he empowers us to walk upright before him. Before I close in prayer, I'm gonna have a moment here of silence and I invite you to, to consider these, consider um, what the Lord has for you, consider what he is saying to you um, on the work of the Holy Spirit through you now towards upright living. So I'll give you a moment and then we'll close in prayer. Lord, we come before you today, bearing our hearts before you. Search us and know us. Show us the way to welcome your Holy Spirit. May we heed your discipline and follow the promptings of the transformative work of the Holy Spirit in us. We praise you that it is a glorious joy getting to live through your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, today. Thank you. Amen. At this time, we're going to join together towards communion. And a piece of communion is checking our hearts that we're ready. So I do invite you to consider um, thinking through what the Holy Spirit is speaking to your hearts. Um, if you did not get the cup and the bread on your way home in, it's at both entrances over there.
If you are a follower of Jesus, we invite you to take part of the bread and the cup. The table of the Lord is for all who believe, for all who have received Christ Jesus as Lord. Now we invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify, not that you are perfect, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come, not because you are strong, but because you are weak, not because you have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in your frailty, you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. Now that the supper of the Lord is prepared before you, lift up your minds and hearts above all selfish fears and cares. Let this bread and this cup be to you the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus dying on the cross for us. Lord, we ask that we would just put our hearts before you now, that we ex would accept that greatest gift, Lord. Open our hearts to what you have for us as we remember you today. Amen. My brothers and sisters, this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? This bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take and eat this bread, remembering he was born to be our savior. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Feed on him in your heart and be thankful. In the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup, which in the Jewish Passover feast is called the cup of blessing. And he told his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the, the reset button when we ask you into our lives. We thank you, Father, for the, the cleansing and washing of your blood of, as your blood flows through us on us to cleanse us. We thank you, Father, for the forgiveness of sin that's found in you and only in you, God. We surrender to your transformative power of your Holy Spirit. We want to be made more like you so we can continue to give you glory, pointing all others to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My brothers and sisters, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Take this cup, remembering that he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it together and be thankful. As we have our closing song together, um, 
We invite all pastors in the room to come forward. If you need prayer, please come come up to the front during our closing prayer, our closing song. I invite you to stand as you're able. Philatos again in his book, The Deeply Formed Life. He says, the way of following Jesus requires a steadfast refusal to get caught up in the pace, power, and priorities of the world around us. We're called to have our lives shaped by a different kind of power, pace, and priorities offered to us 
by God. And today that difference for us is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We're invited to live freely, animated and motivated by God's Spirit. Are we creating that space regularly to welcome the Holy Spirit, His work, and His transformative power? Before I close us in prayer, I do have um, an announcement, a prayer request, actually. Um, a praise is that Pastor Hank is on vacation. Um, he actually went to London. Uh, that is a blessing. A prayer request for us today. Uh, he has tested positive for COVID. Um, so now he's going through the proper protocols. He has to get two negative tests to return. So we do invite all of you to join us in prayer for Pastor Hank. Um, for those technical things, but. I also would ask that you pray for him to be able to rest, even through the stress of it, um, to be able to find spaces now for continued rest, continued recovery, um, that God's blessings would be on that time of being stuck. Um, yes, thank you for that. And now let's, let's close in prayer. Lord, we praise you for the fullness of life that is found through the transformative work of the Holy Spirit. We praise you that you created us to walk in holiness and you empower us to do so. Lord, thank you that this isn't a burden for us to carry, but something we can delight in as we welcome your presence. Lord, if there are any of us here who don't think we'd be deemed ready, may we come before you now in full submission, welcoming your redeeming power your work of the Holy Spirit, making us right before you. Thank you, Lord, that we become new creatures in Christ, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. Amen.